0: You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. This episode of The Way Home Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at the Christian Standard Bible. Just a quick word about the CSB translation. I have come to really enjoy it and love it over the last couple of years. And I use it in my preaching and also in my personal devotional study. Well, I'd like to commend to you uh, the CSB single-column Bible. It's one of the first Bibles as part of the Holman Handcrafted Collection, and it features an elegant single-column page design with wide margins printed on high-quality Bible paper to enhance readability. This is a really nice Bible. It's handcrafted with the highest-quality authentic grain, genuine leather, and constructed with a smith reinforced binding with edge line and leaves. This distinctive Bible is guaranteed to last a lifetime. I don't know about you, but I've been through several Bibles in my preaching, teaching ministry, and there's something about having a good Bible that feels good in your hands, that is easy to read. Also, the single column is really nice for readability. And it has just a lot of really uh, great features in it. It's got wide margins so that you can do some writing and journaling in there if that's what you'd like to do. You can get 30% off this Holman Handcrafted Bible if you use the code The Way Home at Lifeway.com. So go to Lifeway.com and use the special code The Way Home and get 30% off this Holman Handcrafted Bible. Well, hello and welcome again to The Way Home Podcast. I am so glad you're joining me today. Glad that you are a regular listener. I'm just really overjoyed at the interaction feedback that I get from people, whether emailing or people I run into at conferences or other places that say, I listen to your podcast and really enjoy it. Well, today uh, we have a great guest, uh, Dave Harvey. Uh, Dave is a longtime pastor. Uh, He has pastored for 33 years. He has founded a website called amicalled.com. And he's the author of several books, really important books that I'd encourage you to get. One of his best is called When Sinners Say I Do, talking about marriage, the marriage relationship in a a real gospel-centered way. And uh, he's written some books on ambition and calling. One is called Am I Called? Another is called Rescuing Ambition, which are very, very helpful, but helpful to me. He's got a new book out about leadership and what he is calling the plurality principle and really... Uh, encouraging churches to have what uh, is often called a plurality of leadership. Authority and responsibility is not just centered in one person, but is spread out for accountability, for uh, best possible leadership and care and input. Uh, He not only makes a case for it in this book, but also really fleshes out exactly how that works. Uh, How do you do what is often called the first among equals approach? Uh, How do you recognize uh, the different giftings of different elders and what that works out uh, we had some really good conversations. I really probed him on some of these questions and, and how they work out in practical ministry life. I've always really enjoyed the work of Dave Harvey, and I think you will enjoy him today. Before we get to our conversation, I want to encourage you to go to my website, danieldarling.com, and sign up for my one little word newsletter. Uh, there's a free and a paid version. The free version, comes out every week and has just things I'm reading and and listening to um, and watching. The paid version has original content on things like leadership and church life and writing. Uh, Also includes some um, quarterly Zoom calls with leaders and writers and some other really cool perks. So go to my website danieldarling.com and sign up for the One Little Word newsletter. Okay, let's join my friend Dave Harvey talking about the plurality principle. Well, I'm glad to have Dave Harvey uh, back on the podcast. Dave, I think I had you on my podcast a few years ago talking about some of your other books, or maybe I think I did. I don't know. It it all runs together, but I know I've read several of your books. But welcome back to the Way Home Podcast.
1: Thanks, Dan. It's great to see you. Great to be with you.
0: So today uh, uh, we're going to talk about you have a new book called The Plurality Principle, which is available from Crossway. We'll have links in the show notes. Uh, forward by Sam Storm, building and sustaining a thriving leadership culture. Uh, I am so glad you wrote this book, and this is so interesting to me, both as a pastor and just someone who's been in uh, kind of parachurch and denominational ministry as well. Uh, talk to me before I get into some of the nuts and bolts of this. Talk to me a little bit about what motivated you to write this book. Was this kind of uh, as you as you as you've worked with churches and pastor churches, you just kind of kind of seen the importance of. Uh, Plurality of Leadership, and that kind of motivated you to write this book?
1: Yeah, that was some of it. I mean, after working with pastors and elders and churches uh, for, I don't know, more than 30 years, uh, I'd say it's been one of the most consistent weaknesses that I've encountered in churches and among leaders. And so uh, this probably wouldn't surprise you, Dan, the concept of plurality is never under dispute. It's actually the practice of Hmm. plurality. And, and what it looks like and so I just I, it seemed to me like there was a lack of clarity on why leadership is shared and how a healthy plurality can actually impact the church. and so and so I wrote the plurality principle the plurality principle is that the quality of the elder team determines the health of the church and so you know whatever the elders are, the church ultimately becomes. And uh, and so yeah, I think that that was a reason. The fact that there's been a lot of good books written on eldership, you know, I'm thinking of Strack and mm-hmm. the one by uh, the Nine Marks guy, Jeremy, uh, the mm-hmm. B, uh, but other ones that you're aware of. Uh, there are not a lot of books that specifically address the purpose and opportunities in in team ministry. So it seemed like it was kind of an underaddressed issue in the in the field of books that were written on, on the topic. So those, those things kind of jump immediately with mm. what was pushing it forward. Well,
0: it does seem rather timely too, because, you know, we've seen, you know, the headlines are dominated by stories of uh, scandal and fall and kind of the, you know, the model of a charismatic leader that uh, sort of has a echo chamber around him or her, and there's not a shared leadership. So it does seem very timely as well.
1: Yeah, I think that was actually another reason because uh, as I as I look at the fallen celebrity pastor phenomenon, um mm-hmm. uh, one of the common denominators among almost all of them was a, the kind of pseudo plurality they had. In other words, there were, there was most often this hand-selected group of friends or peers outside of the church that they had appointed for their care and accountability mm. rather than looking to the local church elders. And, uh, and, and, the, I mean, you know, the, the problem there is that, that there's no real, real meaningful accountability. It's just a right. workaround to accountability. But <clears throat> I think it also ends up undermining the entire practice and existence of, of plurality, because I mean, there's no quicker way to communicate a, a team's irrelevance than to say that they are insufficient to help to care for you or to help shape you or, or to be you know, connected to you in those ways. And so it undermines that for the team. It undermines the role of the pastor in the church. I mean, when the lead guy's kind of exempting himself out of the local church care because he believes that his gifts or his burdens can only be understood by others, that are in the same size church or have the same gifts of him, then it kind of undermines the role of the pastor in the church. Because other people say, "Well, I, you know, I can exempt myself out too." So it's you know it, it has a big impact.
0: Yeah, and you know it's interesting. I I think you point out well that if you look at the New Testament, there does seem to be plurality of leadership, either uh, modeled or emphasized. Is am I correct in saying that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I probably should have started here just to define my terms. When I'm saying plurality, it's just a way to say shared leadership. And, mm-hmm. and that, that idea is derived from the overwhelming evidence in the New Testament that churches had, had elders, plural, not just an elder singular. And so there's a number of, I mean, there's an overwhelming amount of passages that we could turn to. Um, you know, to, to, to justify that. And so in history, that's always been considered plurality and, and churches have been led by pluralities. It, it's interesting though, Dan, last night I was, um, I was just reading, it, um, I was reading DeYoung's, Kevin DeYoung's book on uh, men and women in the church. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that, he, he was kind of contending that when God goes to create in Genesis 1, he creates in plurality so he the sun and the moon uh day and night that and it culminates in in the man and the woman that god orders creation in plurality so i i thought oh now that's a really interesting take on it
0: mm. and yeah and i think too of uh dave of just like just popped in my head just some of the admonitions in scripture to um pray for your leaders or um i'm thinking of hebrews you know like the Hebrews' admonitions to to I think it's Hebrews obey them. They have the rule over you and submit yourselves, where mm-hmm. they they watch for your souls. But there's a plurality in that them, they, you know, that it's not just you know one person. Uh, so it does seem like it's it's both in, encouraged but also modeled, right? Um, I'm curious about church history, right? Like if you if you think about church history, obviously there's so many different models of church governance. Can't really go through all that, but. You have plurality of leadership, but then you also do have some singular charismatic leaders, right? You have a Charles Spurgeon, or you have a Martin Luther, or you have you know Calvin, or uh, you go on down through. So the phenomenon of a come a singular charismatic leader doesn't, even though it may be more pronounced today, it doesn't seem like it's unique to this era, right, of church history.
1: No, I don't think it's it's unique. I I mean, part of the challenge I think is is how history is written. Um, history is written through the stories of great people, often through the stories of great people. The, the idea of writing it through the stories of team doesn't seem to have detraction. It's not nearly as sexy. Um, and so there's something that's within us, particularly in, as, uh, in, in, in the Western civilization and in America, where, um, we're just more inspired and attracted to, the, the lone maverick and the stories of 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 the uniquely gifted people. I mean, you think about it, Dan. You know, the sports we watch, the businesses we track, it's all built around the guy or the right. superstar, the franchise player. You know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I just not long ago I, I finished um, the democratization of American Christianity. So it's you know it's Nathan Hatch's work going back into how how the development of the nation interacted with the development of Christianity back then. And uh, the the Methodists and the Baptist circuit riders were, were just killing it. I mean, they were, they were getting all over over the place. They were starting churches, Yale and Harvard are screaming and yelling because they're authorizing people to preach that haven't been trained, but it was all, it, it was all these kind of maverick guys. So I, I Mm -hmm. I think that our history tends to be more entrepreneurial, less teen.
0: Yeah. And you also have the push and pull throughout church history of hierarchy and then renewal movements and then hierarchy. You know what I mean? So, you know, you think of like the, yeah, you mentioned the Baptists and Methodists uh, settling the West and having less stringent forms of, you know, um, accreditation and criteria but also kind of got out ahead of everyone. And then they realized, okay, we need some theological education. We need some hierarchy, you know? And then there's, there's always like a, you have hierarchy, then you have that gets stuffy and, and bad. And then the people are against it. So it just seems like the tension throughout church history, right? Uh, In terms of how we see church governance.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, You know, I think one of the things that teams have to protect themselves in or against is is just the drift towards institutionalism? Because I think once the once a, a maverick leader or a you know a, a gifted leader decides that he's going to do plurality, and the plurality you know begins to 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 take up the serious business of of leadership through team, I think there are ways that that uh, institutionalism you know a, a settling in a protection of the past. a a, a preserving of the way we do things, a rejection of new ideas, those kinds of things can be unintentionally imported in there. And so the team has to really be committed to the kind of movement dynamics that are going to renew it and, and, and keep them moving toward God, keep them accessing ideas from outside of themselves, looking at what's going on in the fringes, bringing that in, studying it, understanding it, and and yeah. shooting and shooting for renewal.
0: So I want to talk about a uh, plurality of leadership because uh, I really think this is so important and uh, really how we think about it in the life of a church particularly f- with elders. You know, I think uh, a lot of uh, elder led churches it seems to me the healthiest ones have a kind of a mix of staff elders and lay elders which is what I think you recommend. Talk about that dynamic because there's a different expectation when you're a lay elder and a staff elder and I think you've rightly stood up for lay elders and said, you know, they have a very, very important role. So maybe talk about kind of the dynamic with that. And then I have some other questions too, about how, how you think a plurality of elders works while also, you know, a lot of times there's a one that has a particular teaching get that takes the bulk, bulk of the teaching and how that can kind of create an environment where he's kind of the lead guy and all that. So anyways. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, I do think, Dan, I come from a world where at first my, my first years of a ministry um, we did not have lay elders. And I worked within that model for a number of years and, and experienced both the strengths and the weaknesses of it. And uh, over time became convinced that the lay elders are really important to the health of the church and the uh, and the health of the plurality, so I think that the you know the the benefit is that uh, some of the benefits are that when you know when you have people that are employed that are governing the church and are are connected together but answerable to someone who is ultimately doing their their reviews and determining their income then I think it tends to skew some of the, the way that information comes in and it tends to create a bubble culture. Whereas the, the lay elder is not vested, is not financially vested in that way and uh, and has the ability to bring perspective, has the ability to represent a, a, a part of the church that, Pastors and and elders that might be employed by the church don't touch each and every day, and therefore they can bring that into their work of eldership, bring that into the elders' meetings, and it gives a it gives the pastors a, a, a greater sense of where the where the congregation really is. So I, I think that for that reason, and a, and a number of others as well, the the lay elders and and some times pastors that are elders, you know, working together on the same plurality is a, is a solid model. And that's, you know, one that has historic precedent as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it just seems like, um, it, it it seems a good check. I feel like so, at times lay elders bring a kind of uh, wisdom that may, may not be seen by the staff uh, and a kind of accountability that someone who's getting paid by the church might you know what I'm saying? So it seems like a really good healthy yeah. mix. Um, talk about how plurality of elders really worked in a healthy environment with a team environment, particularly, you know, because typically even in the, in the healthiest of, of, of plural environments, you have one pastor who's kind of a lead teacher, preacher. He's gifted that way. He's been called that way. How do those things all work together?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think a really important one uh, in, in the book, I spend a couple of chapters talking about the importance of that lead role um, so that it's not just uh, a, a plurality without a recognized leader. Because I honestly believe that that for pluralities to be healthy, there has to be leadership. There has to be somebody that is gifted enough, somebody that the plurality has confidence in. To be able to bring continuity, to be able to serve them, to be able to care for them, to be able to bring their gifts forward, much in the way that a, you know, that a conductor does for a symphony. The conductor's not necessarily the most gifted person on the stage, but he's working with these extremely gifted people and calling forth, bringing forth the best of their gifts. So I think the lead pastor, senior pastor, pastor of preaching vision, whatever we want to call that person. Um, I think that role is really important to the effectiveness of the plurality, because I think that's, that person can take responsibility to ensure that the plurality is working well. In fact, that suggests that that's one of the most important things that he accomplishes, is to ensure that the plurality is, is united, committed, uh, aligned, and 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 working towards serving the church in a unified way. I think then because he's in that role, he's got the vantage point to help to to work with guys, to position and place them according to their gifts and to help them succeed in those gifts. Um, Otherwise, you're just you've got guys that are just kind of, you know, sitting in meetings, trying to find their way in identifying Mm -hmm. gifts and then having to almost self-advocate. Uh, to, to find the place that they should be able to serve. So I think the you know that lead pastor role is really important to to the effectiveness of the plurality.
0: Well it would also seem that you need a lead pastor who has kind of the health to say, I need to share responsibility. Uh I'm willing to be overruled on decisions. You know, you know the, the person in that role matters. Uh it, it would seem like that person really needs to have as an intentional effort to empower people around him to lead well, uh, right? To to kind of share some of that responsibility.
1: Yeah. In fact, you know, in the way that I think about it is I, I think that the lead pastor, senior pastor, whatever we're calling that pastor derives its warrant to lead from the elders. And, and so they authorize him to lead. And then in doing so, they're they're saying we we believe this person has the gifts and the character to be able to play this unique and strategic role. And then they submit themselves to him um as 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 a leader. I mean, I, I think there's a you know, I I don't think at all about the principle of headship as it relates to the church and the home, because I don't think you can immediately make an association between those two, but I, I do think that in creation, in in the Trinity, there are you know principles of leadership that can be seen um, that are institutionalized or ordained in creation and uh, embedded, endemic to creation, that uh, that play out in a team environment like that.
0: Yeah. Okay. I want to hit some hot topics because I'm looking at the table of contents. So you um, talk about. Counterfeit pluralities. What does that mean?
1: Well, that's just a, a way to talk about uh, groups that are using the language of plurality, but aren't really experiencing the the reality of plurality. And uh, you know, this can happen for a number of reasons. It, uh, you know, plurality can be can be missing from the start. You know, like this is common for church planters, Dan, you, I, I'm sure you've seen this as well. They, they push to get the church started and to grow enough to be self-sustaining, but they don't tend to think as much about leadership development. And so when the ki- time comes for leadership development to come, they often are reluctant to truly transfer uh, and share authority for the church's direction. So it, it, it can be hard to, for them to think beyond the plant and then hard to divest their responsibility. So I, I think that there's things like that that influence uh, why guys might retain control and, and end up not having a plurality or, or talking about plurality, but not really applying plurality.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting point. Um, and it, it does seem like unhealthy environments kind of slowly build, right? Like it's no one overnight wakes up and says, I'm going to be a, a terrible leader. I'm going to be a tyrant. I'm going to be a, a toxic leader. It seems like slowly over time, you build this kind of walls around the leader, you know, where you say, has anyone told you you're wrong in like five years? <laughs> you know, like it, it, that kind of thing. It, no it seems question. like it happens slowly, right?
1: It does. Yeah, it's very subtle. I mean, just think about think about the the really gifted guys, Dan. Um, you know, like 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 most of us. I'll speak for myself. You know, we dwell within this common and familiar um, range of talent, but. Right. Then along comes these guys that are uniquely talented, and all their life they've walked a different road, you know. And, and somewhere in their journey, they've discovered that they grasp things more quickly, mm-hmm. they can diagnose problems more accurately, they retain information, they express ideas more clearly. Well, well, their experience in life has trained them to assume that um, when given the space. They can tip, typically get things done. They can typically accomplish their goals. So for them, plurality seems unnecessary. It seems inefficient. It seems like it's just an additional burden. And, and, and so it doesn't really, plurality doesn't really work until a leader is able, and, and a really gifted leader in this analogy, is really able to soberly realize the limits they have. And, and begins to believe that the the church is going to be better through the wisdom of many, not just through the wisdom of one, through the wisdom of many, not just the capacity of one person. The, the wisdom of the team is better than than one man's genius.
0: Yeah, I, that's really good. It would seem, I, I like how you, you have a chapter here on uh, a case for a first among equals, that you still need someone to take the take charge in certain situations to lead in ways that a group can't all lead, right? Is that, am I getting that right? That when you, when you talk about a first among equals?
1: Yeah, it's, it's not that it can't work. I think I've seen, I've seen pluralities where there is no lead pastor, where it does tend to work. You've got remarkably humble people, but it does te- seem to have a shelf life, And it Mm -hmm. does seem to create like silos within the church, churches within the church. It doesn't seem to facilitate care for the elders. In order for that to happen, you've got to appoint somebody who takes responsibility for that. And that's one of the main roles that that lead pastor is going to occupy. Which
0: which really brings up a question to me too. You know, when I think about first among equals, I wonder if sometimes that's diff- different a different elder depending on the resp- area of responsibility, right? So, if you have a kind of first among equals when it comes to preaching, right? Whereas maybe there's an area of responsibility in the church where that's delegated to an elder that actually is more gifted than that, that he, in that specific area. He's the first among equals, right? I mean, have, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it's it it's you mean a, a guy that's separate
0: from the guy preaching or yeah, the guy right. preaching that doesn't have the role. Yeah, I'm saying and maybe I'm overthinking it, but you know I'm saying first among equals uh, for the for the senior in a lot of areas like preaching and other areas, but then, you know, some churches have an executive pastor sort of uh, model where that person is kind of first among equals when it comes to some other issues like personnel and some other things that maybe the senior's not as gifted at Uh, Oh, I I, don't know if if that's a healthy model as well.
1: Well, I think as long as the senior pastor, I I think there's plenty of things that can be delegated. Um, But I think he should stand responsible for Mm -hmm. ensuring that it gets done. And I think the elders in appointing him to that role should hold him accountable to ensure that that's getting done. Even if he, even if it seems like, Hey, this guy on the eldership team is really, I mean, he's a, He's an incredible pastor. He's got the respect of the guys. The wives love him as well. We're going to let him run with the care thing. That's great. Uh, but I, I think some one person has to be held accountable to ensuring it gets done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And the, I noticed in, in the times that I served as pastor, even though we had an elder model and, you know, it was kind of a first among equals, you know, plurality principle. Um, there are certain times, you know, just the nature of people who go to church that the pastor has to lean in in certain areas in order to lead well, to set an example, to say, this is something we're doing. Uh, there's certain areas, I, I think myself of, you know, if there's a crisis in a church, the pastor really has to has to show, hey, we're leading through this. Or, you know, there's just certain times in the life of a, of a church, of a pastor, where people want to see their pastor, right? Like, they want to see their pastor at a funeral, uh, you know, and you're leading through that. And you're the pastor in that moment or uh, certain other moments as well, where even just the symbolism of the pastor showing up matters, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. There is a symbolic quality to the role. It, it's it's not only symbolic, but it's really important. The, the pastor that doesn't recognize the symbolic significance of some of the things that he says and does misses an important part of pastoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and and the pastor that doesn't realize that 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 in order for the church to go in a certain direction the plurality has to go in that direction. That that's where, you know, go, gets back to that plurality principle the quality of the elder team determines the health of the church because uh, the, the whatever the elders w- whatever direction the elders want to take the church, they first begin to apply themselves. And they become, you know, what they want to send, what they want to lead the church to, and in so doing, they embody and they model and they bring illustrations out of that of how they're modeling community together, and and uh, and the church sees the integrity of that, and and it has a
0: profound influence on the church. Mm. Uh, this is a really good book. I want to encourage folks to get called the plurality principle. And what I like about it is just that it not only do you make the case for. Uh, plurality, but actually a lot of really practical wisdom on how to do that in a healthy way, particularly the second half of the book. And uh, we can't go through all these topics now because uh, time limits us, but uh, you know, topics like building a culture of care and accountability, acknowledging and sharing power, the plurality tune up, uh, the joy boosting delight of shared ministry. A um, couple more questions while we still have you. Building a culture of care and accountability seems really important, where pastors are both cared for, elders are cared for, but also held accountable. Talk about those two things and why and, why and how, how to make that happen.
1: Well, most pastors, I mean, you know this, Tan, they're expending themselves each and every day in ways that can be utterly exhausting. And there is an orientation that a lot of guys have to just pour themselves up to be spent, to be spent, to spend and be spent. Um, and, and that's a wonderful thing, but they're not as attentive to the care for their own soul, sometimes not attentive to the care for their marriage and family. And, and what's at risk there is not simply the quality of their ministry, but the uh, the, the end of their ministry and so there really needs to be uh, an attentiveness to care and we need a context to do that. And that's where I think the plurality can be of service to each other. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's got to be in everybody's stuff or anything like that, but it's just more recognizing that, hey, you know, the, the church is going to rise or fall based on, you know, the, the health of this group. And so we have to make sure that we're caring for one another, loving one another, and praying for one another encouraging one another and and yes holding one another accountable or ensuring that there is an accountability system that has integrity that has teeth and that can really help a guy if he's stumbling along or fallen in sin or or something like that can 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 rehabilitate can restore can you know can can work for the longevity of, of ministry for for men because ultimately the
0: church wins when that happens that's really good the plurality tune-up talk about that my guess is that is you're encouraging folks to just really occasionally take a temperature check on the leadership culture
1: well it's it is encouraging but it's a little more than that in that i i wanted to actually create a tool and and questions um, to walk through, and because I it, because it wasn't enough to simply talk about it. it, it seemed like it was important to offer people an actual tool that can help them. And so that particular chapter is something pluralities can sit down with, perhaps under the leadership of the senior pastor, or senior or, or lead pastor, um, and can sit down and and walk through the questions, walk through the tool. Um, we created an additional tool through uh, Crossway uh, that that can be accessed for free online. That goes along with that now as well, and it just helps guys to get talking about where they are, what their expectations are for this, what they, how how, how is care working for them, how is accountability working, to kind of surface the things that are important to having
0: a healthy plurality. Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, I guess the last question I would say is elders or pastors are listening right now, whether they're a lay elder or a staff elder in a church, and they want to be a good elder. They want to help the church lead. They want to encourage the pastor, the, the senior pastor, and encourage the other elders. But they also want to provide good accountability. They want to be the kind of person that will ask important questions. You know, that, that can be... I don't want to say intimidating, but that could be a little bit nervous if you've never served in a role like that before. What encouragement and advice would you give them?
1: Well, if they're an elder, um, and uh, let's say a lay elder, or perhaps somebody on staff who's also, also an elder, but they're not a, a senior pastor, they see weaknesses in the eldership and the way that it's operating. Maybe it's too top down. you know, maybe there isn't care. I, I think they can start in in prayer. Um, and that's not the obligatory prayer comment you know i mean really when you're when you're in a position where you've got layers and strata's of leadership above you and you don't have the ability to immediate in, immediately influence through words or actions then i think we we've, we've got to start in prayer always start in prayer but that's particularly important i then i think it's it, it's helpful to expose yourself to material that inspires you on this topic, and then ask the senior pastor or lead pastor whether they might be willing to, you know, to, to review this, to discuss this, to to have a conversation on this, and see what kind of traction you can get in just having honest conversation about the importance of of these issues. And, uh, and then lastly, I would just say practice it. Um, you don't need to have You don't need to have an authorized plurality to practice care, to practice supporting somebody else and encouraging them or standing in accountability. You can actually practice that and you can begin to model the very thing that you think the elders should be a part of. And hopefully that will bring substance to the things that you're advocating on behalf of the elders.
0: Well, that's really good, and that's a great, great place to end. I want to encourage folks to get this book, uh, The Plurality Principle, by Dave Harvey, forward by Sam Storns, an excellent resource for churches. uh, Whether you have uh, an elder model or if you're working toward one or you don't have one, you just want to learn about it, and and particularly uh, The Plurality Principle. And just really, just a lot of helpful wisdom about uh, having a good, healthy leadership environment in our churches that I know... uh, All the pastors and leaders listening would like to have. Dave Harvey, thank you for your work. And thank you uh, for taking some time to spend with us here on The Way Home Podcast.
1: Thanks for inviting me to be on, Dan. Great to see you.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters.